Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for the honor and privilege of of preaching your word and of being here together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be the center of our attention. May your spirit move in our hearts as your word is proclaimed. And then may may you be glorified. Amen. Well, whether you are a Christian or not, I'm assuming that at some point in your life you have prayed a prayer. Maybe not like the one I just prayed, but to the God of the universe or to the big man upstairs or to Mother Nature or to anyone who would listen, research says that most of us have at least prayed a prayer. And if you have prayed a prayer, you've also had the experience of probably being told no. And in, in that being told no, many questions have probably arisen and starting to doubt about the character of God or if there is a God at all. Um, I recently just finished a book called Night by Eli Wiesel, who was a concentration camp survivor um, during World War II. And in his book, he writes about the, the wrestlings and the struggles that occurred during that concentration camp and his experiences and how that drove him to cry out to God for help amidst this, this horror and how God wasn't there to answer or God said no. And um, it really just hit me pretty hard and uh, about some of that reality. And I know that some of you in this room have your own realities of being told no by God, whether that have to do with um, your kids or worrying about, worried about your parents' health or whether about your own health issues or different things that you've wrestled with and cried out to God and said, God, I need you, and felt him say no. So the question I have for you this morning is, can your God say no? Can your God say no? Or if you prefer, what do you do when your God says no? With that question in mind, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Matthew 26, if you're turning there, starting in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him and said, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. Watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you will not, may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on, 
See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. With him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think I could appeal to my father and at once he would send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should scripture be fulfilled? Thus it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scripture and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage helps us see that Jesus knows what it's like to be told no by God. Jesus is in the garden pleading with God, crying out to him, and yet God says no. Even Jesus is told no by God. Yet, When we read this passage, one thing becomes abundantly clear. And that is, we must always say yes to God, even when God says no to us. Always say yes to God, even when God says no to you. Hmm. It's what we see Jesus doing in this passage. The very Son of God, pleading and crying out to God the Father. And then God the Son surrendering and saying, Not my will, but your will be done. Yes to you, even though that means no to me. Saying yes to God isn't easy. In fact, I would wager for most of us, it'll be one of the hardest things we ever do. It isn't easy, but it's good. It's a paradox. It's one of the many paradoxes that we find in our walk with the Lord. And it's one of the things that we must truly commit to, is saying yes to God, even when he says no to us. Because saying yes to God is the only way for us to find intimacy with God and to experience joy. Let's look at this story and and see why we would say yes to God, even when he says no to us, by entering into the story of Jesus. If you're new this morning, we've been studying in the book of Matthew, the life of Jesus for a while now. And Jesus has, one of the themes we see is that Jesus has come as king. And yet, the, the past few weeks, this kingship has looked different than many of the disciples, maybe some of us would have thought. Rather, rather than overthrowing the Roman government and seizing power and declaring himself God, Jesus is choosing a different path, one that the disciples do not understand, nor do they expect. So we pick up the story with Jesus after having had um, the communion supper, last supper with his disciples, a real intimate time, and now it's evening and they're walking just a little bit away from, their, from where they were to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, this is a place Jesus would go often with his, with his disciples to be together with them, to pray. And then in particular, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we ha- I have a picture for you. Um, what's neat about this picture is I, I took it just a few years ago, and these trees are over 2,000 years old. 
So if you do the math, they would be there when Jesus was there praying this prayer that we're discussing today. Um, It's pretty cool. Jesus would often go to this place when he wanted to cry out to God. When he wanted to really be intimate with his father, this is where he would go. So Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and he takes a, leaves his disciples, except for Peter, James, and John, and he has them follow him. Peter, James, and John are his three closest earthly friends, and he asks them to pray with him, to keep watch, literally there to keep awake. Be vigilant with me. Pray with me. Stay awake. I need you to pray with me. And of, and, uh, He has just told his disciples just recently that they will all abandon him that night. And of course we know that Peter is the one who stands up and protests and not I, I'll never abandon you and I'll be there for you. And Jesus says, no, you you will abandon me. But yet right now Jesus is asking for their help. So Jesus goes to the garden and he begins to pray. And we see such sorrowful language. These friends who've seen Jesus at the height of his glory earlier in his ministry at the Mount of Transfiguration where God displayed glory on Jesus and said, this is, this is my son. And now these same three friends see Jesus at this lowest point in his earthly life where Jesus is crying out in agony before his father. And maybe it's worth us asking, why is Jesus so upset? Why is he so distraught? Why is he sorrowful even to death? It seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? I mean, when we th- I used to think to myself, okay, well, he's, he's really upset about the coming crucifixion on the cross. Like, understandably, one of the most horrific ways to die, he is afraid of the physical pain and suffering. But that didn't quite make sense because oftentimes we're able to endure physical suffering, but it's often our emotions that really hit it home. And that's what someone recently pointed out to me about this passage. This passage, yes, it includes his physical suffering, which he knows he's about to endure, but it also includes the emotional suffering which he is scared of. The fact that he is about to be separated from God the Father is bringing Jesus to his knees in sorrow. And we see Jesus in this garden in sorrow, and he knows he's going to bear the weight of the world and pay for the penalty for our sins and by receiving God's wrath. That is why Jesus is, is scared. So what does Jesus do? We see him pray. And what is his prayer? His prayer says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. His request is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I don't want to die. God, if there's any other way, and you're the God of the universe, like surely there's another way. I don't want to do this. That is what he's saying. He's pleading with his father for there another way. Worth noting might be the symbolism of let this cup pass from me. Uh, the cup was, a, was either a divine blessing or divine wrath. And in this case, certainly divine wrath. This is the wrath of God, which is just deserved punishment, which will be poured out on sinners. This is all sinners are separated from God, and this is the punishment for sin. And Jesus is going to take that punishment for the sins of the world and bear the wrath of God. That is the cup that he does not want to drink. He does not want the wrath of God. And and he would know how scary and terrifying this is. The prayer begins with intimacy. My father. The, The prayer continues in honesty. If there could be any other way, 
And the prayer ends in humility where Jesus surrenders and says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And yet despite this perfect prayer, God says no. (laughs) Even Jesus is told no by God. There's so much here we could unpack, but what I want to start with is be vulnerable in prayer, even when you think you should pray another way. Be vulnerable in prayer. One might imagine that praying to the sovereign God of the universe and then being vulnerable wouldn't be that hard. I mean, God already knows everything we're thinking and God already knows exactly how we're feeling. So what's the big deal? Of course we can be vulnerable. But I find personally, this is one of the hardest things to do. And I'm imagining it's true for you as well. It's one of the biggest challenges that face us. And the reason for that is we have to combat lies. There are lies that say, I need to have it all together before I pray to God. Or if God knew what I was really thinking and how I really felt, he'd be disappointed in me. Or maybe I'd be disappointed in myself after I verbally expressed it. It reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Letters to Malcolm, which says, We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Besides, the other thing we do when we tell ourselves lies is we say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, so my prayer doesn't really matter. We're left feeling dumb or worried for being, or feeling hurt and disappointed when things don't go our way. And then maybe the other side of things is I've thought, if I truly tell God how I really feel, if I let him know, it wouldn't be rated G and he couldn't handle it. Okay, maybe I think God could handle it. But those are the things we think. Like, I can't be that honest. But Jesus says, these lies stem from fear. Fear of God, fear of others, fear of ourselves, fear of the unknown. Fear of God saying no. But perfect love casts out fear. Jesus loved his father completely, and he knew that his father loved him completely. And it's that love that allows Jesus to be honest, that allows Jesus to be vulnerable in his prayer. Jesus begins with where he's at. He doesn't start with your will be done, as we often try to do in our prayers. Okay, Lord, I know the right answer. Your will be done. But no, no. Jesus begins with where he's at. He begins by being honest with his feelings. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. Jesus is real and raw with his emotion before God the Father. He's not worried about being selfish or being told no. Jesus prays for what he wants. Think about it for a moment. Jesus begins his prayer in weakness. Jesus begins with vulnerability before the Father. And it's this vulnerability that allows him to pray honestly and for him to ask for there to be another way. But you may be wondering, doesn't Jesus know there is no other way? I mean, for months now, we've been reading about how Jesus is saying this exact moment is going to take place. Jesus has been predicting his own death and resurrection. This is what Jesus came to earth to do. God became man and dwelt among us that this might be accomplished, this moment right now. And yet, Jesus is still asking for another way. (laughs) So it doesn't stop Jesus from being honest. It doesn't stop him from being vulnerable. It doesn't stop Jesus from crying out to God. Maybe you can think of it as like a student preparing for a final exam or a mom expecting childbirth or a surgery that's coming up. You know the date of the surgery, you know the date of the exam, and you're ready for it, you think. And then as it gets closer and closer, it's the night before 
where you can't sleep, where you're nervous, where you're tossing and turning, and when you're waking up saying, oh, I don't want to preach tomorrow. That's, <laughs> yeah, maybe it happened. Too, too close to home. You know it's coming, and yet when it's right there about to happen, that's when you're vulnerable and afraid and, and where you're wanting something different. I think Jesus is in a similar place. He knows why he came, but yet here he is, vulnerable, scared, pleading with God the Father that there could be another way. And it's through this vulnerability that Jesus is able to say yes to God, even when God says no to him. And it's this vulnerability that also allows Jesus to pray with desperation. Be desperate in prayer, even when you think you have it all together. Be desperate in prayer. After this agonizing prayer, Jesus returns and he finds Peter, James, and John, who he asked to stay awake and pray with him. And Jesus has been in agony, but the disciples are asleep. He's been asking his friends to help him, and yet here they are asleep. And he tells them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We will see this come to bear in a moment, but Jesus knows despite the disciples' best intentions, they are all going to abandon him this very night. And Jesus demonstrates a reality for us that resisting temptation isn't a matter of bodily willpower, but of spiritual empowerment. Isn't it ironic that Jesus is preparing for temptation by staying up and he's going to be crucified. He's going to need his strength and energy, and yet he's staying up in prayer because he knows he needs that prayer to get through what is coming. Whereas his disciples, who think they've got it together, are asleep. They're the ones who are in need of prayer. Well, they're both in need of prayer. The irony is that Jesus is in his greatest hour of need, crying out desperately to God the Father for help, and the disciples are sleeping. Jesus says that he is needing their help. The thing that we must remember and that I have to remember is that if I'm honest, I'm more like the disciples than Jesus. I'd rather pray than, I'd rather sleep than pray. I often don't believe I need to prepare myself for the temptations or the things to come. As we see Jesus, though, being vulnerable and being desperate in his prayer, we also see Jesus being relentless in his prayer. Be relentless in prayer even when it seems like you've been abandoned. Be relentless in prayer. Let's look at verse 44. It says, So leaving them again, he went on his way and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Why does Scripture emphasize that Jesus said the same prayer three times? I mean, Scripture only had to record it once. Scripture wants to emphasize something important here, and that is, that it wants to emphasize the relentlessness of Jesus's prayer. He keeps going, God, and back with the same request, back with the same words. Jesus keeps bringing it to the Father. Jesus knows the answer to his prayer is no, but he still prays with vulnerability. Jesus knows the answer to his prayer is no, yet he still prays desperately. And Jesus knows the answer to his prayer is no, but he still prays relentlessly. This has to tell us something very important about our own prayers. And that is that it's not something we're doing wrong when we're being told no. 
I've been told that myself, and I'm sorry if any of you have been told that, but it's, it's not about the sincerity of our faith or the right words that we use or if we have enough faith or if we had the right motives. If you just pray with enough faith, God would heal that person in your life. That's not true. And we know it's not true because Jesus was perfect in his prayer. Jesus was perfect in his intentions, perfect in his faith, the perfect relationship with his Father, and yet God says no. Even God says no to Jesus. Yet, like Jesus, we must continue to pray. Verse 45. Verse 45 says that after the third prayer, Jesus came, comes to his disciples and finds them asleep. But the time for sleep is over, and Jesus wakes his disciples and tells them it's time to surrender. <laughs> Might have been a rude awakening. Can you imagine me woken up and having Jesus tell you, I'm going to go surrender? What? what are you talking about, Jesus? This is, this is not what's supposed to happen. The time of prayer with his father, despite being told no, has prepared Jesus for the very thing in which he wanted to avoid. Jesus' prayer has allowed him to submit to the father's will. Always say yes to God, even when he says no to you. This surrender that Jesus is about to do is painful. I mean, he's about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his 12 disciples, Judas. But make no mistake, Jesus isn't surprised by this, nor is Jesus overpowered by the crowd. Jesus goes into this willingly with the resolve that came from praying and being told no. Jesus knows what's ahead of him, and yet he walks into it anyway. Hmm. And keep in mind that this surrender that Jesus does is, again, exactly what he prayed he would not have to do. This is an extremely heavy passage. If you could catch it as we read it. In the future weeks, we're going to discuss the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. But this morning, we're observing the crucifixion of Jesus' soul as he prays. As Jesus cries out in desperation before God the Father and says, Lord, that there be another way. And yet God says no. So maybe the question is, what will you do when God says no. This continues to be one of the most difficult parts for me in prayer. Does God even hear me? Does God even care? Why wouldn't he do something? I feel so alone. And I'm sure some of you have felt the same way with some of those responses. But let's continue to look to Jesus to find our answer why. Why would Jesus pray the same prayer over and over again? The answer is because denied prayer is not wasted prayer. Denied prayer is not wasted prayer. Denied prayer does one of two things. It either causes you to push away from God and to run from him, or to run to God and to seek him out in intimacy. It either causes you to abandon him and say, I want nothing else to do with you, or it causes you to run to God and say, I need you. That is what denied prayer does for us. Jesus was denied in his prayer, and he used that resolve to obey his Father's will. He used that denied prayer to seek God and in intimacy. Jesus said yes to God even when God said no to him. As we also seek to be vulnerable, desperate, and relentless in prayer, we find ourselves growing in intimacy as well. And intimacy is what prayer is actually about. Always say yes to God, even when he says no to you, because prayer is for the purpose of intimacy. Prayer is not about getting what we want from God, like he's some cosmic genie to answer our wishes. No, prayer 
is about intimacy. Prayer is not about getting from God, but getting more of God. Prayer is about intimacy. Now, if prayer truly is about intimacy, then this changes everything as we approach prayer. It's a complete game changer on our perspective and how we view prayer. Prayer is not about getting, again, not about getting something from God like he's a vending machine. Because if we have that mindset, then of course, if we put in the money and then we don't get the candy, then we're upset and we're angry and we feel justified in crying out and saying, why? But if prayer is about intimacy and about getting more of God instead of getting from God, then we will see this pain as an opportunity to be closer to God. Now, careful as I say it, because I certainly don't intend to to say that we should be excited for pain or that we should want to be told no. No. Jesus cried out in distress, and Jesus wanted a different answer. If Jesus could cry out to God and ask to not be told no, then, then we can do the same. We don't have to want to be told no. The fact that pain and suffering exist are, is, is a sign that things are not the way they are supposed to be. But what I am saying, and what I think we should start seeing when we are told no, is to have the mindset of let's use this no for intimacy with God the Father. Let's desire intimacy with God more than anything else, even if it means being told yes. Even if it means being told no, and even if we want the answer yes. So this is true in my own life. When I was eight years old, my mom was diagnosed with, with, with breast cancer. And she passed away and lost that battle the day after my 11th birthday. And I remember crying out to God and being like, why did you not answer my prayer? Didn't you see I wanted something good? I wanted her to live? If you're both good and powerful and you could have done something and you didn't, then I don't want anything to do with you. I ran from God as best as I could at 11. But praise God, he did not run from me. When my mom knew she was going to die, she started writing out letters to her kids for the significant events of our life. And in one of those letters, she told me that she cried out and she prayed that God would heal her, that she might be able to be my mom and that she might continue to live. But that she had said yes to God, even though God had said no to her. That broke me. Uh, It caused me, well... A lot of things. But that put a change in me to where I said, stop trying to run from God. And her prayer was answered. And I eventually surrendered my life also and said yes to God, even though he had said no to some of my prayers. Not saying it's easy, but it drove me to intimacy. And I certainly don't have that figured out for the future (laughs) as I try and enter other, other stages of prayer. But that moment in time drove me to my knees to surrender. And it's where we're all called to start. We're called to start in vulnerability, and then we're called to surrender completely to God in prayer. Surrender completely in prayer, even when you can't imagine another way. Surrender completely. The lie here we have to combat is that I know what's best. God, you need to heal my mom. I know what's best. And this goes back to the original sin of the garden, where Adam told God, My will be done. But notice we're in a different garden. Now we're in the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says to God, Your will be done. 
This is true not only in our prayer life, but this is true in all of life. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus commands us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. This is exactly what Jesus does in his prayer life, and this is also what Jesus does in his, in his life here as he goes to the cross. He surrenders to the Father. The difficulty I have found is that surrender is not usually a one-time occurrence. It's not usually this dramatic moment where we surrender an issue one time and then it's over. No, rather, most of our burdens that we carry, we have to give to God over and over again, time after time, day after day. I know many of you carry burdens. Burdens like, God, why can't we get pregnant? God, why am I still single? God, why do I have these feelings of same-sex attraction? Why do I have this relentless pain that won't go away? Why, are, why is my family member dying? Why does my father have to die of Alzheimer's, of all things? Why are my parents getting a divorce? The list, the list goes on. Each of you has, have burdens that you have to carry. I don't have the answer to why you have to carry these burdens. And the scripture passage this morning isn't about the answer why. But what I do see here in this passage is that prayer should drive us to surrender and lead us to intimacy with God the Father. This is the example we see from Jesus. Jesus always, always said yes to God the Father, even when he was told no by God. And the result of this prayer is our rescue. In essence, Jesus' no is our yes. Let me explain. explain. Philip Yancey states, The unanswered prayer for Jesus occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane when, as Luther put it, God struggled with God. While Jesus lay prostrate on the ground, sweat falling from him like drops of blood, his prayers took on an uncharacteristic tone of pleading. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, the letter of Hebrews says. But of course Jesus knew he would not be saved from death. When Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he didn't get that salvation. He got instead the salvation of the world. God the Father's no to Jesus doesn't fully explain God's no to you and to me. But it does assure us of the fact that it can't be because God doesn't love us. Look at the cross. Please don't believe the lies that you need to have it all together that you need to pray harder, you need to have more faith and say the right words and do the right things and then God will answer your prayer? That's a lie. And it's not true. And again, we know it's not true because Jesus was perfect. Perfect in his request and his prayer to God. And Jesus is told no by God. The Father's no to his Son resulted in the Father's yes to you and me. The only way the story of this garden, this story in the Garden of Eden I'm sorry, the only way the story of the Garden of Gethsemane has any hope for us is the good news of the cross of Calvary, which comes. Jesus was told no by God so that God could say yes to us. On the cross is where Jesus died for the sins of the world. That is where Jesus took our sin and made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. But the cross doesn't happen without the prayer in the garden. A prayer which gave Jesus resolve to say yes to God, though God said no to Jesus. As we see, Jesus, see from Jesus, we must approach prayer with 
vulnerability. We must approach prayer desperately. We must approach prayer relentlessly. And we must surrender our prayer. Because prayer builds intimacy with God. Therefore, we must always say yes to God, even when God says no to us. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I am horrible in saying yes to you when you say no to me. I confess that many of the horrors I hear about in the world today and from much of the pain I know exists from people in this room leaves me with doubts and anger and sadness. God, you call us to use that for intimacy with you. I pray that we'd be able to. I pray that we in this room would not believe the lies of this world that tells us our prayers are dependent upon our words or our actions. Lord, instead, will we strive to be vulnerable, desperate, and relentless in prayer, that we might say yes to you even when you have said no to us, and that we might grow in intimacy with you through prayer. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you that his no is our yes. Thank you that he surrendered his will so that we might have intimacy with you and that we might have relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.